So we're going to continue in our series in Romans. And uh, with that, you can open the scriptures to chapter 14 of Romans. Chapter 14 and we'll pick up at verse 13 and we'll read that. Follow me as I, as I do that. So it's verse, chapter 14 and verse 13 of the book of Romans. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Verse 16. Therefore do not let what is good for sorry, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue things which make for peace and for the building up of one another. Verse 20, do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offence. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. Trust God will add a blessing to his word. This is a basically a continuation of uh, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, as I have reiterated on a number of occasions. And there, of course, we're told of the believer is to offer himself as a willing sacrifice, his body as a living sacrifice. And um, what that looks like is that he will love others. Even love his enemies. He will love those uncomfortable people. He will love those people who are hard to love. And he'll even love those who hate him. And then we moved on to chapter 13 and, um, and we saw that and into 14 that it's not only about loving others but it's accepting others as well within the church. This is what we're speaking about here, within the church and even within the local church, accepting others. And we talked about that last week. But today it's not so much about accepting others, it's about not hurting others. And um, hence my message up there is titled, Be Careful, That Way You Can Hurt Others. You know, often over the years I've endeavoured to dabble in the Buddha cooking, as some may know, and, um, I, and I do always seem to love pushing the boundaries or the recipe of the boundaries a little bit and um, by adding some of my own culinary flair. Um, Valme certainly knows this, and now Alex Townsend knows this as well. And I just love spicing dull things up, okay? Dull things like rice. It's got to have herbs and stuff with it. Potatoes have got to have 
something else. My silver beet needs lemon juice. My porridge has to have cinnamon, all that sort of thing. And uh, my whipped cream needs vanilla essence. You know, that's, that's just me. But one of the problems with my culinary flair is that I have found that it can have negative consequences. It can hurt some. It can be that my added chilli will have Valme choking and my over-peppered potatoes will have Alex rushing to the tap. And um, the questions of uh, is what's the issue are soon answered. Well, it's way too much salt or way too much pepper or way too much chilli and I, most of the times I have to agree with their diagnosis. You see, folks, the ingredients that I use are good and right and made exactly for food. And what the issue is, I happen to use these very right ingredients sometimes in a very wrong way. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is on about here in chapter 14. He is saying that when it comes to our liberty as Christians, our freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, which is good, and they are good, it is dangerously possible to use this freedom blessing that we have in a very wrong way and that will damage and hurt other believers. And we don't want to do that, do we? And so in the first section of chapter 14, as I said before, we learnt that we were absolutely free to decide on matters in Scripture that were neither forbidden nor commanded. It's free to us. We have freedoms in Christ. And so we looked at how there must be acceptance of other believers who have different preferences in those issues and different opinions on such matters. And we applied the historical context of the text we were reading last week to our day to things like listening to contemporary music and belonging to social clubs and um, drinking alcohol, sending your kids to public schools and a host of other lifestyle choices and things that, um, that we put in one basket or another for ourselves. And so Paul was addressing last week, he was addressing strong and weak believers and he drove home that because we will all stand before the Lord and every one of us individually will give an account, because we're going to do that, the question was, what right have we to criticise and stand in judgement on the Lord's servants in the here and now? We have no right and we need to be very careful about that. And so our main point was that we must accept one another because Christ also has accepted us to the glory of God. Chapter 15, verse 7. Now, in this section from verses 13 to 23, Paul presents the other side of the coin. The other side of the coin. He continues addressing strong believers, that is, those who are more mature in the faith, over their potential to spiritually hurt or harm weaker believers. And Paul exhorts us to handle our liberties responsibly and not abuse them to the detriment of our fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. You know, we learnt that our, last week also that our, that our conscience is, is to be our guide. It is a guide. When we become Christians, our consciences are, are sensitised and, um, and that conscience of ours 
it's to be our guide and and it tells us to what level we can enter into and and enjoy our preferences. I'm not talking about moral things. Those are clearly cut in Scripture. I'm talking about those things that are either forbidden or commanded in Scripture as we have looked at. And so now we see this other side of the coin which tells us our preferences in life are not necessarily only guided by our conscience, but they must be guided by this other. What is that? It must be guided by our love for other believers. In other words, often our liberties must be limited, constrained, because of our love for other believers. So our freedom in Christ is all about serving and building others up. It's not about enjoying them for our own personal satisfaction. So Paul provides three warnings here against abusing um, about abusing uh, our Christian liberties. The first one is be careful, don't hurt uh, fellow believers. Now the first word in our text you'll see is the word therefore. Of course that refers back to verses 10 and 12. And in those verses, we're reminded that the Lord alone has the right and authority to judge minds and hearts of his people. So therefore, don't try and play God. Okay, we looked at that last week. So your responsibility is to determine this. You like that word there? Determine this. That's your responsibility. That's our responsibility, is to determine this. Not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in the brother's way. Now this word determine in our English is exactly the same in the Greek, as the word judge. So this verse could be translated, and allow me the liberty of doing this, um, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather use your best judgment by not putting an obstacle or a stumbling block in your brother's way. That's what this tells us. Paul is saying, stop judging other believers on actions that are neither commanded or forbidden, but use your best judgment. Determine. Apply your judgment to helping others rather than being critical and pulling them down. That's what he's saying here. You see, folks, a good question we need to ask ourselves is what are we more concerned about as we go through life? Are we more concerned about what others are doing or what you're doing yourself? Is our freedom in Christ being flaunted to the detriment and indifference toward other believers? That's a question. Or is it constrained by our love for them? Is it building and strengthening our faith in Jesus Christ? These are some serious, heavy questions here. This is what Paul really wants us to understand in this text. Someone reminded me last week, oh, I've never heard of that spoken of before. You don't hear it speaking of, well, okay, that's one thing about expository preaching. You've got to handle the text as you come through it. And so here it is. You see, Paul is really concerned that those who have liberty, and we all have liberty as Christians, okay? We're not bound by the law. We're not, this meat is not unclean and that clean, and this day is not more holy than that day, etc., etc. Because they had holy days. These are the sort of things that the ancient believers were really hung up on, and we can... Take a quantum leap in our time and there's still similar things in our day. And so he's really concerned that those who have liberty, the more mature believers, protect those who don't, the weak believers. Whether we like it or 
whether we like it or not, folks, we are our brother's keepers in all this. Yes, we are free to use our liberties in Christ in relation to all those preferential issues that we have been speaking about, but our love for the weaker believer should constrain us so that we do not stumble others. This is where Paul warns the stronger believer. He says, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. You see that? Actually, Paul gives the same warning, the exact same warning to the Corinthian believers. Now, the Corinthians are ones who really knew what their liberties were about and and they flaunted them and they pushed their boundaries to the point of being downright sinful. This is what he said to them. Take care lest this liberty of yours somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. In other words, make sure your preferences of lifestyle, your legitimate choices in life, do not cause a weaker brother to stumble into sin. Now this word stumbling block is an interesting word too. It's the word scandal on. It's where we get our English word scandal from. But it also refers to the triggering mechanism on a, on a baited animal trap. You get the picture? You know, in other words, what looks good and enticing, enticing and even legitimate is and becomes a death trap when those doors, jaws of that trap snap shut. It's a scandal on. When I was a youth, to the horror of some of you here, especially bird lovers like Benji, for monetary reward from the local council, I used to trap hawks because they were deemed a pest. And the way I used to trap them was first shoot a rabbit, which I also got paid for, by the way, and then I would lay the rabbit out and then uh, in, in a field, an open field, and, and um, uh, to be exposed to all the many soaring hawks above. And, and just in front of the dead trap, I would carefully disguise a, a, a gin trap which snapped shut on any wary hawk and they were wary as they slowly circled and landed and came down and uh, had a look at this too-good-to-be-true free meal. And of course, the scandalon was set. The hawk was tempted. It succumbed and death was its end. My dear people, in a similar fashion, we must not tempt a weaker Christian by using our legitimate liberties which can violate his or her conscience which causes them to sin. Folks, are we stepping stones or are we stumbling blocks? That's the question. Are we stepping stones or stumbling blocks? Which one are you? You see, our liberties must be limited by love. Paul then strengthens this warning by saying, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Paul wasn't adverse. He'd go and eat meat that was offered to idols and no problem to him. One steak was as good as the other as far as he's concerned and he had perfect liberty and that's fine. It was all, it's all kosher to him. But we need to understand here that Paul is not saying anything is good and because it's all good, Go for it. Don't hold back. He's not saying that. He's not saying that. But at the same time, Paul knows. You see here, it says the word he's convinced. He's convinced. Not like many of us who only have a conscience about something, and we all have that, but Paul had something better. He was convinced. How was he convinced? He was convinced. He had divine revelation behind him. So he was probably more convinced than anyone, any one of us could ever be. 
And he would be. He said, God's speaking into his heart. He was, he was, he was, uh, he was the, a man that God inspired even to write scripture as we have it and to speak. And so he was convinced by God. Well, we only have a conscience where we weigh sort of things up and, uh, and, uh, and then we prefer or we have an opinion about something. Okay? But Paul has this, so Paul has this divine guidance. In other words, so when we sort of track that down a bit, as we'll see the picture up there, that supposedly cool-looking dude smoking tobacco or a cigar, Tobacco in itself is not sinful. A schooner of beer in itself is not sinful. Wealth, money, sex, pleasure, entertainment, you name it. These things in and of themselves are not sinful or forbidden, are they? Rather, it is how these things are used that can lead to sin. That's the issue. Now, this is where the tricky part kicks in. This is where the tricky part kicks in. And sadly, what happens here, our selfish indifference toward others too often rules on such occasions. Paul confirms this idea in the second part of verse 14 when he writes, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. See, there's his conscience. Paul says everything is clean and there you get other believers thinking, no, 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 it's unclean. And that's kosher, that's right. And to him it must be unclean because his conscience is telling him it's wrong. This is about the weaker brother folks. This is how they are guided on such matters. But to him who thinks, that's what it says, but to him who thinks. In other words, personal opinions on such matters matter a whole lot. If his or her conscience or opinion on any issue is neither commanded that it's gone neither commanded or bidden in Scripture, if that calls them wrong, if they call them wrong, unclean, then they are exactly that for them. They must obey their conscience. In other words, some things may well be wrong for some and not for others and vice versa. We've got to get our heads and hearts around that. I told you this is going to be tricky, and it is, because this means as we think about this further, that we cannot always, in advance, know where another believer stands on certain issues and certain things, right? Because we cannot read their minds, we cannot read their conscience. And because it's wrong for a believer to violate his conscience, as we had that last week, it's wrong for a person, to, to a Christian, to violate their conscience. It's also sinfully wrong for it to be a stumbling block that tempts other believers to do that, to violate their conscience. And then we see the Apostle Paul getting really personally up close and practical here. And this is what he says, For if because of food your brother is hurt you are no longer walking according to love. You see that? Do not destroy with your liberties or do not destroy with your food, can we say, which the text says, him for whom Christ died. As I said before, eating meat that was offered to idols and honouring certain days, some did and some didn't, that was the issue that was in our historical text that was going down in the church in Rome. And there's whole lots of other things that we can sort of traject to our day. 
And so what Paul does here, he deals with the other side of this Christian liberty coin and, 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 and which he tells us that we can really hurt or destroy a fellow believer by advocating or by them seeing us or by us advocating what their consciences condemn. Okay? We can really hurt them. This stumbles them. It causes them confusion. Because if they end up saying, oh, okay, if it's okay for them, it must be all right for me, even if my conscience tells me otherwise. If they go down that track, you're causing them to stumble. This can cause grief. It can cause distress. It can cause a a believer to have no peace with God. And and even further, it can can work out to a full-blown lack of assurance of salvation. And that's a terrible plight for a Christian to be in, right? May it be that our liberties as Christians are never used as license to satisfy our own personal wants and remain indifferent to the consciences of our weaker brothers and sisters in Christ. After all, after all, you know what? God was at liberty to cast every single one of us and justly so into hell for eternity. He was, right? But he chose to constrain his liberty with the cords of eternal love in Jesus Christ at Calvary. May our liberties be willingly constrained by love for our fellow brethren and sisters. So Paul's first warning is to be careful. Don't hurt fellow believers. Goodness, this time's gone and I'm not even quarter way through yet. Um, But we'll carry on. So don't hurt fellow believers. The second warning is be careful. Don't damage your witness. We see this in verses 16 to 18. Okay, verses 16 to 18. Now, Paul now brings our attention to a, uh, to a wider aspect, can we say, of, um, of misuse of our Christian liberties. And that's our witness. It says, Therefore do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. And as with God's blessings, all of God's blessings, our liberty and our freedom in Jesus Christ can also be misused and move completely outside of the purposes of God. They can. So the good thing, that is our liberty in Christ, must be used carefully before our weaker brother. Because its use or misuse towards one another does what? What does it do? It soon makes its way out to a watching world. You know that, right? Nothing secret. The world always picks up on the negative things that happen amongst believers. They seem to. That's just what happens. See, our liberties are to be constrained by love so that we never stumble or grieve a weaker brother. And also, they should be never, we should never give a watching world reason to speak evil of them. This is where we need to be very, very careful how we use our liberties before the unsaved. You know, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's at home, whether it's in your backyard or those social events that will come up for our workplace situations very soon, do not allow your liberties to be a reason for the world to shake its head, as it were, and blaspheme. Now, when I say blaspheme, that's what this word here means. Speak evil of, that's that's the word there. Never allow them to be able to do that. Speak evil of what is good simply because we fail to show appropriate restraint. 
You see, the Lord's put a difference in us, folks, and too often, sad to say, no difference is evident, all because we too often fail to appropriately restrain our Christian liberties. Or in another way, how sad it is when, when believers fall out with one another. It happens, right? And it's usually over some peripheral, ridiculous issue. And there's, you know, argy-bargy and, and off they, whatever they do, they'll go to another church or they'll stop going to church or whatever. You know, unsaved people home in on that like bees to honey. Many non-Christians say, why should I ever become a Christian then? This is what they'll say. This is one of their, their apologetics, can I say, of why not to become a Christian. Why should I become a Christian? You guys are no different than us. You fall out with other people just like anyone else does. Here's another example. A little bit further out, but another example. You know, my father taught me a whole lot of things and and he taught me how to run my farm. And, um, and uh, one of the things he taught me was, he said, son, the way your farm looks and runs is a reflection on your witness as a Christian to Jesus Christ to a watching world. He said, so the amount of weeds on your farm, the quality of your fences, how your road frontage looks, the health of your cattle, all these things will reflect something of your witness of your Christian faith. So be careful. We could ask, well, is there any specific or biblical commandments on these issues? No, I had the liberty to run the farm how I liked. I could let, I could let weeds grow and just lay back and let it lax and, uh, and, and possibly wouldn't even affect my financial earnings too much. Um, I, I could allow my front road frontage to look like a jungle. I had liberty to do that. But I needed to constrain my liberties even in this area because something of my witness as a follower of Jesus Christ was at stake. No way that I want to damage my witness even an inchy little bit for Christ for a measly price of being a little bit more diligent and putting a few more hours in in the week. No way. Our liberties must be constrained by a love for a dying world, right? My dear people, forsaking a liberty is always a small price for the sake of believers but also for the sake of potential believers. So why is that? This is why, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see that in verse 17. In other words, folks, our liberties in Christ, our freedom to eat or not eat, to drink or not drink, to join social clubs or to join them, to go to music concerts or not to go to music concerts, to smoke cigars or not, I wouldn't advise you to because it's unhealthy for the first place. The kingdom of God is primarily not about these issues. C.H. Spurgeon, he loves cigars. As a footnote here, he loves cigars. I don't know whether they're Cuban or not, but he loves cigars. And I told you a story about that, right? And a student that came to him last week, I told you a story last week, a student once came to him and says, oh, look, sir, a person gave me this box of cigars. I'm in a dilemma. I know what to do. What shall I do with them? What shall I tell them? And B.H. Spurgeon says, here, give them to me. I'll smoke them to the glory of God. But anyway, a little bit later, the story continues. He was walking down the street, was C.H. Spurgeon one day, and there he saw a tobacco shop with an advertising thing up we sell cigars that C.H. Spurgeon smokes. He immediately stopped the smoking because he could see 
and understood where this was going. It was stumbling other people. And it was not a witness to the world. See, folks, we need to keep the main thing the main thing. You see, the Pharisees, they thought everything was about external. External things, what they wore, how they acted, where they prayed. So everything to them was external. But how we need to keep the main thing the main thing, right? Our liberties are peripheral and we need to be flexible in their use. But when we focus on the kingdom of God being about righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, because that's what it is about, that's when our liberties will take a backstage place every time and we will use them appropriately and we will use them flexibly. We will, see, we will then see the work of Christ advance in our own lives and the life of our church and blessed in the Holy Spirit. It's then we will find the right balance and our liberties will be used appropriately so that our witness will not be damaged. Now, folks, as believers, we'll want to serve God that way, right? We long to serve God that way. The loving, selfless Christian who is in this way who serves Christ, we see in verse 18, is acceptable to God and approved by men. You see that? In other words, if we use our liberties appropriately for the sake of our witness for Christ, this is acceptable to God, but also it's approved by men. That is, we are found by a watching world and known by a watching world as authentic and valuable, not cheap fakes. You see, when we serve Christ selflessly, Paul said this to the Philippians about that. He says, we prove ourselves. That's what it does. We prove ourselves to be what? To be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach, in midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Philippians 2, 2, 15. So, be careful. Don't hurt other believers. Be careful. Don't damage your witness. Now, for thirdly, be careful. Don't injure your church. We see this in verses 19 to 23. Okay, in 19 to 23. He shifts gear, Apostle Paul does. He shifts gear, as it were, and, and his greater emphasis here is on, on not so much what we must not do, but what we must do. He said, so then we pursue the things which make for peace and for the building up of one another. Now this verse is set in a contrast with the next verse, verse 20, and has a play on words here, we call that. Because we read in those verses, building up, and then verse 20, tear down. You see that? These are construction terms. Alex will know all about that. He's in the building business. He's done a fair bit of tearing down, and no doubt, hopefully, he's done a fair bit of building. Building up. And um, these are construction terms, and what they do is they highlight the main purpose of our serving the Lord together. That's what they do. So whether we like it or not, folks, we are in the building business. Every single one of us. We're in the building business. And as a footnote here, allow me to put another one in here. Too many Christians, via their indifference, lack of interest, lack of availability, lack of selfless love, lack of loyalty, and all in the name of Christian liberty, tear down the very church that God has providentially placed them in. 
So back to our text, this word building up, it carries the idea of, of making a building stronger. It literally means strengthening that which remains. You remember the church at Sardis, Revelation chapter 2? They were exhorted to strengthen that which remains. Well, it's the same idea here. So how do we go about that? That's a good question. How do we go about strengthening what remains? We're told we're to pursue those things that make for peace. And so what is that? The essentials are humility, selfless love and compassion and seeing the needs of one another. You see, folks, we are to, are to pursue peace. Our liberties, when we pursue peace, genuinely pursue peace, this is a spiritual peace and this is the peace of God that we have through Christ Jesus what will happen is our liberties will be willingly placed on the altar of sacrificial love for our brethren, our witness, and the building up of one another in a local church. It will become the primary focus of our lives. Allow me to ask, how is your building up of this church going? Because it seems to be from our text here, the way this contrast is set in verses 19 and 20, that if you're not engaged in being, in being strengthened and an agent for that strengthening, you're guilty of tearing down the work of God. It seems to be that there's no neutral ground here. You can't sit on a fence and neither build up or tear down, so to speak. Now, that's a serious charge, right? And I, and I certainly know also that God's not indifferent about such matters. He's not indifferent about how his servants are engaged with his building. After all, even this local church is his, right? He's the head. He's building his church. The wider church, but he's also building this church. And he calls his servants to strengthen, to build up. Do our liberties in Christ mean so much to our personal satisfaction and our personal pleasure that love for one another in this church, especially to the weaker believer, does it take a back seat on your priority list? May that never be, folks. For if that is the case, you're guilty of tearing down the work of God, the church where he has placed you. And just in closing, what we see in these next three verses, Paul kind of wraps up for us. He wraps up and, and he gives us three practical steps of how we can help other believers from stumbling over the use of our liberties in Christ. And the first one is, be considerate. Verse 21 says, it is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything which your brother stumbles. Pretty clear, right? In other words, engage your head and your heart and abstain when necessary because your brother's conscience might be telling him what ever is on offer is evil. Our liberty must be constrained by love. Secondly, be convinced. Let's see this in verse 22. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Now this faith here is not talking about salvation faith. It's about conviction of mind it, it, over any matter upon understanding the freedom in Christ. You know, it's, uh, it's a little bit like the person who first gets saved and when they become a Christian, man, they don't know too much, do they, right? They don't know too much. And, um, 
Yeah, they may just whatever. But then again, after a while, and as they read the scriptures and they're and it's sensitized by the Spirit of God through the Scriptures, their conscience becomes, makes them aware that, wow, maybe I should really question what I'm doing here. Or maybe I should really question some of the activities that I do. And, and then he may hear from someone else, oh, well, no, a Christian's this and, and it's wrong to do this. And so he may ignorantly just sort of take on that board and, and he'll have it, okay, if it's, he said it's Christian's wrong to do that, well, I'll, I'll better stop it or whatever and, uh, because that's what a Christian is. Um, and that can be dangerous. You see, because it can drive the person to legalism. You see, we don't do good works and we, uh, to, be, to make ourselves Christians... Because we're Christians, we do good works. Right? But anyway, this be convinced is a, it's about conviction. It's about understanding as we grow in our understanding and our freedom in Christ. Um, and so our actions that we engage, those actions that are neither commanded or prohibited in Scripture, we need to make sure that you are fully convinced in your own mind or conscience before God that what you're doing is right. Be convinced and do not go against your faith in what is right or wrong in such cases. And can I say, it may be, you know, if it's doubtful, it's dirty. There's a bit of wisdom in that. There's a bit of wisdom in that. So be convinced. And then thirdly, we have be consistent. We see this in verses 22 and 23. This is what Paul writes. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he is eating not from faith and whatever is not from faith is sin. In the free use or the constraining of our liberties, happy is the brother who knows that his actions are not harming a weaker brother. On the other hand, on the other hand, the weaker brother is condemned when he acts contrary to his own conscience, which says otherwise. You get the picture? And as we wrap this up, we need to ask ourselves personally and hopefully a challenging question here. What Christian liberty do you have, do I have, that I need and you need to constrain or even give up either indefinitely or at appropriate occasions? We all have some, folks. We're liberated Christians, right? That's what Christ does. He's liberated us. But what do we need to constrain and give up either indefinitely or at appropriate occasions? God wants you to prioritise other believers and follow Christ's sacrificial example to be living sacrifices. Our liberty must be constrained by love. Why? Because it can hurt others. Thank you, Peter.